Great, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Thanks to everybody to uh, welcome to this morning. Thanks for getting up early and having your breakfast with us, I guess. Um, great that we have this technology that we're able to do what we're doing. So I'm gonna, I've got some slides that I'd like to work through um, just so that there's some prompts and some visuals to help this online Zoom uh, meeting happen. I'm gonna go through the first few quite quickly, I think, and then we can linger at the main strategic and uh, guts of what I wanna say at the end. And then the Q&A, I think, can help us to, to pull things together. So a lot of the stuff I've said before, um, I started preaching on Priscilla and Aquila and the uh, partnership of marketplace people with apostolic team. Now Priscilla and Aquila, we read in the book of Acts, planted churches together with Paul in Corinth, uh, in Ephesus, and in Rome. And we see them as strategic partners. And I started preaching that in 2005. And then just doing some reading this week, I saw that the United Nations uh, Sustainable Goals were actually also set up in 2005. It's very interesting how times change together. Uh, Francis Schaeffer used to say that the same climatic conditions that produced the Renaissance, a humanistic move, produced the Reformation, a move of God and a move of the Word of God. The same culture, the same things that are happening in society, the same aches and pains, the same longings and desires, actually produce two answers always. One is from human ingenuity and the Tower of Babel, what humans can do to get up to heaven. And the other is the kingdom of God, what Christians can do to get heaven down to earth. And there's a great difference between the two, trying to get to heaven or trying to get to earth. And so I've called this, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so um, you two used to sing this song many, many years ago. When I first heard them sing it, I thought, man, these guys are supposed to know Jesus. They're supposed to be Christian. Here they're confessing. They haven't found what they're looking for. They obviously don't know what's going on as Bible believers. Until I listened very carefully to the words. And then the words say, I believe in the kingdom come. I believe when all the colors will bleed into one. And it still hasn't happened. And so there are things that have been promised in the gospel, things that Jesus promised, things that the Old Testament prophets promised, issues of justice, issues of harmony, issues of race, issues of gender that were all supposed to be swept away with the pouring out of the spirit in Acts chapter two, according to Joel's prophecy. Those things still haven't actually come to be in this world in which we live. Much has happened in 2000 years of church history, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found the church that Jesus spoke of. I still haven't found the impact that the church needs to have as in the book of Acts, but far, far greater. Many people have said we're living in Acts 29. That's true. Book of Acts is just the beginning. We have so much more to do. And so I'm always um, trying to inspire myself and others to believe that we still haven't found what we're looking for. There's much, much more to come. In, we can experience more in our generation. And certainly we can open up the doors for our children and our grandchildren. And so Albert Einstein once set uh, an exam question for his students. And uh, he Said, his friend said to him, we can have the next slide, thanks. So his friend said to him, uh, you've set the same questions this year as you set for last year. He said, uh, and Albert Einstein said, yes, I know. Same, same questions this year and last year. And so his friend said, but it's the same class. It's the same students. How can you set the same students, the same exam questions this year that you set them last year? And Albert Einstein said, because the answers have changed. The answers have changed. Albert Einstein's uh, 
E equals MC squared and theory of relativity changed all the answers. The questions were the same, but all the answers have changed. And COVID-19 and the fourth industrial revolution that we're being catapulted in now with COVID-19 uh, has changed all the answers. We have the same questions of justice, of equality, of community, of how does the gospel and the cross of Jesus get worked out into society. But the answers are changing. And we, as God's people, also need to be having answers. We can't just let another renaissance happen. We've got to have a reformation, a changing of how the word reforms society. And we're not going to just go living in the past. We've got to be living in our day and do what we need to do. The same happened in the 1960s. The hippie movement brought a whole lot of changes in the 60s, uh, love and peace, protesting, civil rights move. But at the same time as the hippie movement was happening, there was a movement actually of gospel uh, believing hippies, the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement, more recent studies have shown, influenced the charismatic move in a way that we haven't acknowledged up to this point in time. It took the Pentecostal move, which is a little bit on the fringes, and plowed it into midstream and mainstream. And people like John Wimber, who came out of that hippie movement, actually helped to, to do that for us. So every move, every time in history, there's this tipping point, changing point of huge proportions. There are humanistic answers, answers that bring in the enlightenment and a dualistic way of thinking of with heaven and earth. We're going to get up to heaven. And kingdom answers that bring the kingdom, bring heaven down to earth. And that's how history ends up. History ends up in Revelation 21, where the new Jerusalem comes to earth. This earth is not going to burn. We're not going to be raptured. Heaven's going to come to earth, according to the Bible. And we are going to be part of a people who help to change the planet. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray. And so there's this incredible, exciting moment in history that we live in now, where God's people have to take our opportunity to make the changes we need to make. We've got to be part of the project. And uh, the world is talking a lot about fourth uh, industrial revolution. They're talking a lot about what can happen. We've got to be part of it. Uh, the printing press helped Martin Luther and the Reformation. Zoom and the internet are helping us in our day. So here we are meeting from Singapore to Joburg, uh, Singapore to Natal, Singapore to UK. And it's all happening just because of technology that is free and you don't need a license to operate it. It's actually amazing. It's totally amazing. God has given us the right technology to do what we need to do. We've just got to start to say, what are the answers to the questions of our day? And so Milton Friedman, that uh, Chicago economist who did a lot of bad things in his life. I don't like his, his, uh, his philosophy of economics. I think that it was very savage. It created an unregulated situation that has caused a lot of pain and hurt. But the one good thing he said was he said, only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. We're living in that today. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. There are many ideas lying around. Many ideas. These are not new ideas I'm going to share. There are many ideas that have been lying around. Many people have, have taken some of these ideas and used them, implemented them. I hope that, you, that, that not all of this is totally new to you. I'm sure it's not. But I want to see us become a people who together can become a movement that these ideas don't get lost and get swamped by the tide that we're in, but they get to be used by God's people to change the world in which we live. And I think that's very, very possible. And so that's, that's my goal. Uh, Daniel Niles is a, is a um, Sri Lankan uh, theologian. And he said, when you Western missionaries came and brought us the gospel, it was great. But uh, you brought us the 
Christianity, your plant of Christianity with a whole flower pot. And you gave us a flower pot of Christianity. He said, so what we need to do now is break the flower pot, take out the seed of the gospel and sow that seed into our own cultural soil and let our own version of Christianity grow. That, I believe, is absolutely profound. That's what we need to do. We need to sow the gospel seed into our society and see how does the gospel affect what we're doing today. Um, we can learn from the past. We can learn from church history. But the answers from the past are not the answers for today. They were facing different issues and different challenges. And they came up with wonderful theological, biblical answers. But we've got to find for our culture, our season, our day, how does the gospel seed get worked out? Same seed, same gospel, same Jesus, but it gets worked out very differently. And so I have a little map of the salvation journey that um, we can put up there. And I use this little map regularly. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but the, 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 the Bible starts in a garden and ends up in a garden city. And that trajectory to the book of Revelation, we have to, we have to see. Dudley used to say this, Dudley Daniel used to say, we live in the, the real, we have to cope with the real, but we've got to move towards the ideal. We don't live in the ideal. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect solution. We're on this journey. And so this is my little map of nine, nine critical change points that um, this is the New Testament version. I've got a version that is an Old Testament version, but you can see all the symbols are Old Testament. It's taking us, because of the gospel promise to Abraham, out of slaves to sin in Egypt, because of the Passover lamb, we cross the Red Sea, our baptism, we go to Sinai, we get the word, we get tested in the wilderness, we cross the Jordan, and we come into the promised land in order to establish a base, a Jerusalem or a Zion, that can be take the gospel to all nations. Now, many churches, I find, believe in that first phase. Slaves to sin, blood of the lamb, baptism, word of God, and they die in the wilderness. They die getting fed manna and finding water from the rock. They die in a place saying this supernatural provision is all that God's got for us. And one day we'll go to heaven when we die. And we haven't crossed the Jordan. We haven't crossed into our anointing, into the rest of God, and established a base in order to influence the world. We haven't built cities the way we should build cities. We've opted out of politics, and I don't believe we should argue about party politics. You're always going to find something wrong with somebody who's in party politics. It's, ne it's necessary, but it's a necessary evil. But we do need to be involved in the polis. The polis is the city. And God is taking us to, from a garden to a garden city. And we do need to be involved in our city. We do need to be involved in that kind of politics where we can speak truth into the areas of power and not be... Um, waiting for a rapture, waiting for the earth to burn, waiting just to get out of here. We are not going, we're staying, and our grandchildren are staying, according to the Bible. And so I use this little map as a map for me to help me see my Bible theology, and also to help me see where are we and what do we have to do in the next phase. So those are kind of background things. Uh, just let's have the next slide. When I was studying engineering, we had this wonderful book called Reynolds, and many of you who are engineers may know it. Um, I had one of the very first versions, a blue version. Reynolds Reinforced Concrete Designer's Handbook, 11th edition. Absolute engineer's friend. Man, this, you can't live without this thing. It just, it's got every solution you want to know. Cantilevers, bridges, silos, thin slabs. Anything you want to know is in Reynolds with a model answer. And just so you can just check from the, from the experts, are you designing correctly or not? My professor hated this book. My professor wouldn't allow this book, allow us to use this book or bring this book into class. He said, that book is banned in my classes. I don't want to see it because it stops you thinking from first principles. 
it stops you thinking about why do you think what you think? <laughs> How do you get to think about the implications of what you know? You are just given ready packaged thinking and diverting entertainment, as Michael Easton used to say. We don't need ready packaged thinking to solve our problems. We need to go back to first principles. And first principles are looking at that gospel map I gave you, that salvation journey. Old covenant, we've got to go back to the old covenant, which is a pattern, the Bible says in Hebrews. And look at it through the lens of Jesus, who came as the real to fulfill it. We can't work with Peter, Paul, James, and John, because then we're working with Reynolds' handbook. Peter, Paul, James, and John planted the gospel seed into their culture. They got correct answers for their day, for their culture. We can learn from them. But we've got to go back to Jesus. And what did the prophet say he was going to do? And what did Moses say he was going to do? And what did God set Jesus up the Messiah to do? To bring justice, to build a city, a city on a hill, Isaiah chapter 2. That would actually influence the world. That peace would flow from that city. And that the nations would move towards that city and learn from that city. That's what we have to build. And so that's my theological framework to help us to think. Otherwise, we think business and marketplace has nothing to do with kingdom. We think church should be involved with getting people to heaven and business should be involved with helping people get a job so they can eat, so they don't die before it's necessary to go to heaven. Now, Adolf Hitler told the church in Germany, he said, you worry about heaven and I'll worry about taking care of the people here on earth. Isn't that amazing? You pastors, you worry about getting them to heaven. I'll worry about how they get taken care of here on earth. That's Nazi philosophy. That's not biblical. That's not how we should be living today. We should be worrying how people live on earth. And I believe that you're here this morning because you are worried about how people live on earth. I believe that you're here because you want to together form a strategy that we can help people live and thrive on earth and thrive as we come out of COVID-19. So let's just move to the next slide. Thanks. The next slide is um, just, uh, we don't have to linger too long there, but um, Alan Greenspan used to use this Anne Rand um, with a philosophy of greed as his basic worldview. And when his world fell apart in 2008, he admitted it was based on the novels of Anne Rand, who was a person who had left the USSR and actually had a very savage greed-based capitalism. My, my, to my amazement is people don't want to base their, their economic thinking on the Bible. The word of God revealed by God to build nations that rather base it on a, on a novel. It's incredible to me that, the, that the, the, the biggest economy in the world, the United States of America, based their philosophy on greed. Greed is good. And they said that Adam Smith said that and Milton Friedman said that greed is not good. The Bible tells you greed is not good. Doesn't matter how you place it. The Bible says greed is idolatry. And when you have a system based upon greed, trying to make more money and hoping it trickles down that many can get that money, that is idolatry. That is not godly. Now, God does want us wealthy. That's true. But he doesn't want us greedy. Greedy is a selfish, sinful, take to myself and forget the rest philosophy. And that's what this world has been based upon. And so that's why let's have the next slide. I'm just so... Um, determined to actually get the message out. This is a picture from my comic book. You know, I read comic books when I read the Bible. It helps you to understand the story because I find that the printed version is a bit like Shakespeare. It's a bit hard to, to get a hold of. But in the Bible, in Revelation, 19, Revelation 17, it tells you all about this uh, Babylon, the, bee, the woman, the, the prostitute, the, this, this one who seduces and calls people into to, to kind of taste and see of the luxuries. But John in his revelation tells you that that Babylon is the city of Babylon, but also the city of Rome. 
And the city of Rome traditionally sat upon seven hills. There were pictures and coins with that image. But John sees the, the woman, Roma, the, the city of Rome, sitting on seven beasts, well, a beast with seven heads. So she's not sitting relaxed uh, in charge, as you would think. The reality is she is being led by a beast with seven heads, doesn't know which way it's going, pulling this way and that way. She is not in charge. She is riding the beast. And the philosophy we have today of savage capitalism is not in charge. It's riding a beast. They are boom and bust. This, the spirit of empire, which is the beast, is actually in charge. It's a savage system. It's a system that makes slaves of people. It's a system that's full of violence. It's a system that hates regulation, that wants a, a secret way of doing things without regulation so that some can thrive and others can actually be trampled upon. And that's what the Bible shows us in the book of Revelation. It's not telling us about you know, Armageddon, a final day war, the rapture, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's showing us a sociology, if you like, an economic philosophy, a political theory, a theology that is based more on principalities and powers and the powers behind that we don't see. And that's what Revelation is. It's an unveiling. And so what John is, is, is the apocalypse is unveiling the forces that control history. And the force that controls history most of the time is the force of empire. And we're in that day to day. So, so I, I, I get distressed when I hear Christians saying, we can go and make a lot of money out of the stock market and then give you know, our profits. Or we can tithe from our profits or use our profits to do good. We have to think differently about the way we make our money. We've got to think differently about the economic systems. Now, I'm not speaking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not speaking about socialism and capitalism. I'm not speaking about communism. I'm speaking about just biblical economics. <laughs> And it's neither of those. It has a little bit of each one. It's, it's, it takes some of the good out of all of them because they've just borrowed from, from God, basically. But we have to think differently about how we make money, how we use money, and how we run business, and how our business is there for social good. Milton Friedman used to say that if a business is there not for, for shareholder good, maximizing shareholder profit, he says, then that business is not doing good. And he says, any business that comes and says you have to do social good is, is being subversive. Well, I mean, that's quite a thing. I say, well, then, then great. Let the church be subversive. We have to subvert the way business is done so that we can do good for society. That's the call of any economic system, do good for society. And how that's defined, serve the purposes of God, not just do good for you and I and forget the rest. So, so it's a great challenge for us. So let's go into some of the solutions and answers. Oh, ma, I see our time is ticking on far too fast here. Okay, let's look at the Quakers. Now, I, I've spoken about the Quakers before. The Quakers were a movement. They were spiritual believers, 0.2% of English society. And they have given us some uh, great companies that uh, still exist today, not in the same shape and form that they used to in those days. Lloyd's of London, Cadbury's, Fry's, Roundtree's Chocolates, uh, British Rail was once the Quaker Rail, Barclays Bank, 75% uh, of English banks were run by Quakers. They were this movement of spiritual believers who had these three basic principles that, that made them great, made such a small community impact such a huge nation. They were co had conviction and action. They, they did what they believed. They were, they were sticking with the word. They had collaboration and innovation. Um, Lloyd's of London was started when a couple of businessmen, Quaker businessmen, sitting in Edward Lloyd's coffee shop, were discussing their shipping, and they said, if one of our ships goes down, we'll, we'll be out of business. Our family's ruined. 
So why don't we pool our resources and create a pool that together we can help each other if one ship should go down. And that's how Lloyd's was London or insurance company was birthed. A multi-billion dollar insurance company birthed by a few Christians sitting in a coffee shop saying we have a problem. How do we solve our problem? What is the business solution to this problem we're facing? Cadbury's used to bring drinking chocolate because people were drinking too much hard liquor in the pubs. And they said, how do we solve this social problem? I love it. I just think we've got to solve social problems with business solutions. That's the goal for us today. That's our goal. Bring something of the kingdom of God, of economic solutions to social problems. Not only were that, but the Quakers were, were the largest group behind William Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery. They believed in justice. And they, they had strategies to try and live that out, um, uh, to try and make it happen. So I believe we've got to do the same kind of thing. We've got, to have, we've got to be innovative. We've got to be experimenting, experimenting with the new technologies we have. Um, on my Facebook today, I just posted a, a little clip about the flip classroom. The flip classroom in the USA is becoming a big hit because of, uh, not just because of COVID-19 and the, and the shutdown, but it was being used long before that. And what they do is basically use technology. Um, children go home and watch the lecture, the best lectures they can get on video. So they can watch on the bus on the way home. They can watch without their parents knowing anything about the subjects and being able to tutor them. They don't do their homework at home. They do their class learning work at home. And then when they come to school, the tutors tutor them on what they've learned and answer their questions and help them to solve the assignments that they've been given in groups or one-on-one. -on -one. And they're finding this is just producing incredible results. I mean, think about it. It's just obvious. It's the way to go. Because on video today on YouTube, you can get the best lecturers ever. You don't have to have your teacher lecturing you. But the problem is your parents can't tutor you because the knowledge required and the time required is too great. So your teachers can tutor you and YouTube can lecture you. It's flipping the classroom around. We can do this in the church. We can do this in business. We can, people are already doing this. But COVID-19 and the lockdown and the breakthrough with using technology online must teach us to think in a thousand different ways to find solutions to social problems, that we're not wasting time and energy. I mean, even what we're doing now is incredible, as Steve said. We had set this up last year. It didn't work. It was difficult to travel and fly with what I was doing and the cities I was in. And uh, we had set it up for, for this year, for 2021, October. And um, when this whole COVID thing happened, I just said to Steve, why don't we just do a Zoom meeting? It's like, I can come to you in two weeks' time and we can do this. It's not as good as face-to-face, -face, I agree. But man, it's better than waiting for two years. And so we've got to think of a lot of solutions and, and I think we can do that. Let's have a look at the next slide. Uh, building at the, uh, investing or, or uh, building at the base of the pyramid. I'm sure you are all aware, I've spoken about this before, Grameen Bank, Cement, Cement, you can Google them and see them. Uh, Mohammed Jonas started Grameen Bank um, by giving $27 to 42 families to break the economic cycle that they were in. Basket weavers were, were um, weaving baskets and the middleman was taking all the profits. He was taking their baskets, selling at the market, making a huge profit. They were remaining poor while the middleman got rich. And Muhammad Jannus came, he loaned $27 to them, broke the middleman uh, stranglehold, broke those chains, those shackles that kept them in poverty. And that launched Grameen Bank. Uh, Grameen Bank in 2008, Jannus was actually retired around about that time. But in 2008, they'd invested $7.6 billion, um, which is amazing, isn't it? 
uh, they'd loaned out $7.6 billion to poor people. And in 2017, they'd opened up 19 branches in the USA. People said it wouldn't work in USA, it only works in Bangladesh. It works everywhere that poor people need banking and capital to actually launch their, their, their enterprise. Social enterprise needs capital. We can't just rely on angel investors. We also need to also have opportunity to access capital. And uh, uh, Mahmoud understood that in a wonderful way. Cmix cemented a similar thing. Let's just have the links, uh, ethics, VW, BP, ethics, the lack of ethics has caused such huge, huge problems. Uh, VW, last I looked, were in it for um, about $20 billion, US dollars, just their scandal of fixing their cars to pass those emissions tests. $20 billion, $20 billion. That can put you out of business forever. And they lost something like 25% of their market share just because people didn't want to buy their cars anymore because of what they were doing. Uh, BP with the Gulf uh, meltdown where they were trying to just take excessive risks to make uh, uh, excessive profits. That cost them around about $70 billion. Here we're talking about two, two companies to totaling you know, billions and billions of dollars just because of ethical issues. We know this. I could give thousands more examples and I'm sure you're aware of them. Let's have a look at the next one. Um, this wonderful golden calf that we put outside Wall Street. Um, I'm amazed that, that Wall Street would put a golden calf outside their front door. It's just, it's just, I mean, don't they get the biblical imagery? It's amazing. And so this idea of Milton Friedman to have shareholders trying to maximize profits or maximize businesses maximizing profit for shareholders is so, so wrong. We need to have stakeholders. We need to have people who are involved in the whole process. And so there's a little video I put on my uh, YouTube by uh, Graham Sinclair, who um, came, came from Glenridge in Durban originally, living in USA now. He's got a wonderful video uh, speaking about ESG uh, investing, uh, investing for environment, social, and governmental uh, metrics. So it's good to watch. Go and watch that. It's, it's called something like investing as if the future, future matters or something like that. If you go to my Facebook, you'll see I posted it there. And uh, we're trying to um, set up something with Graham. We were talking to him this morning to do something to follow up some of this conversation of looking at environmental, social, and governmental companies and how we can build those, not only invest in them, but build them and help us to become people who are environmentally doing good, socially doing good, diversity doing good, part of social, and governmentally doing good, getting servant leadership companies, not this old idea of top-down controlling or a socialist idea of everyone just does whatever, um, where we're, we're not, not all involved in solving our problem. So wonderful to have a look at those things and try to see what can we do. Let's have a look at the next one, thanks. Um, I was very inspired by Paul Pullman from uh, Unilever. Paul Pullman and uh, uh, what's her name? Kath, uh, not Kathy Keller, uh, what's her name? Keller, they um, started up a, a company called Imagine. And um, basically what happened to Paul Pullman is in 2008, when they had those terrorist attacks at the Taj Mahal Hotel in, in Delhi, uh, he was in the hotel and uh, many people lost their lives there. He and his team survived and he began to see the connection between terrorism and poverty. And that uh, he was the CEO of Unilever, you may remember. He's since uh, stepped down from that role. But, and Unilever one, being one of those great companies that wasn't quite a Quaker company. It was started by a few Quakers, taken over by the Lieber brothers who were Christians, but had all the same principles as the Quakers had in those early days, building uh, Port Sunlight, uh, doing good for their people, doing wonderful things. And so Paul Pullman 
survived that attack and saw that there's a connection between poverty and terrorism. And so he changed Unilever to become a sustainability-geared company and to try and eradicate poverty where he could all the way up the supply chain. And that is a unique way of thinking. And that, I believe, is what we've got to do. I think we've got to try and say, not only do we go to base of the pyramid like Muhammad Janus has done, but we go to the top of the pyramid and use ESG investing to say, how can we connect the two? How do we create a supply chain that has partners all the way? So you may have a soup kitchen, you may have a food distribution uh, camp, you may have an orphanage. But I think we've got to change that from being a charity or an NGO to partnering and make it into a sustainable business, make it into a conscious capitalism, capitalism that is compassionate. Because NGOs and charities always need donations to keep going. But businesses run because they run on good business principles. So, so if you set up a, a social enterprise, you don't take profits out for directors. There are no profits taken out. They just keep playing profits back in for the good of the enterprise, which is working for the good of society. I think in South Africa, in Singapore, we're looking at this as well, which is very different. But I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to say, how, what social problems have we got? How do we bring base of the pyramid thinking? In other words, we get to know those people. Cemex Cement, they send people into Mexico for six months to live with the community to understand the problems. Mohammed Janus sent his students into the, the village in Chittagong where he was. No, not Chittagong, where, yeah, Chittagong where he was. He sent them in to actually survey the poor, to find out what was the issue with those basket weavers. Why were they stuck in their poverty? We don't understand what poverty is until we go and live in poverty. We've got to have partners who are in poverty. We've got to have people who understand it. You, when you sit at the top of the pyramid and, you, and, and are socially well off, you think you know what people should do. You have no clue. You don't know what their struggles are. You don't know what their challenges are. You don't know what the legal framework is against them. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing, the, 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 the mass of problems that stop them getting out of poverty. Craig Elliott and I set up some of these things up in Dipstrots. And he had a guy in his church, Dumasani, who went and started a bread distribution as a network. He sold loaves of bread to people coming back home at the taxi rank. So they didn't have to carry it back. They got it at a better price. He got it at a good price from the bakers. And he was just doing a social service to people solving their problem and doing it at a good rate. So they were benefiting and he was making money out of it. So he was benefiting. He eventually set up a couple of these. He got a few guys that he employed, got a wonderful thing going. The bakery got to see, why are we selling so much bread to one guy? And they had no contract with him. He was just going and buying it, buying it by the truckload. And they said, we can do this. We don't need him. So they cut him out and they went and set up their own tables and did it themselves. You see, we have no idea when poor people try and make a solution, how they get cut out by capitalists. We, we've got to go and do it ourselves to understand how we need to set up business structures with good uh, business thinking behind, with legal structures behind, unfortunately, to protect people. But that's what we've got to do, friends. We can't keep on with soup kitchens, feeding the poor, big warehouses. It's great that we have Mercy Ministries. We have to have it because it's, we're in this desperate situation. But if we could set up businesses that were sustainable, that had the best thinking in our churches and in our communities to run those businesses and then partner, have a co-op, a cooperative that everybody partners in the thinking. Don't think poor people aren't imaginative. They, they know how to solve problems. Uh, you know, they, 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 they really do. Um, some, so, uh, 
the Peruvian economist, what was his name? Hernando de Soto. Hernando de Soto used to say that poor people are incredibly ingenious. Just look at the way they do crime. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible to say, but it's true. And the, why do they do crime? Because the big businesses squeeze them out and won't let them do good business. That's why. Because they don't want them in the block. They don't want them coming near to what they, they, their turf. And so they are very imaginative. And we've got to take those people who are desperate, who, want, who will turn to terrorism, who will turn to crime, who will turn to extreme solutions because we're so insensitive to their problem. And we've got to set up businesses that have a supply chain all the way. And to me, that is the most thrilling thing you could do with your life as a Christian. And if you're in business, if you're either in, in, at the top or the bottom of the pyramid, it's the most thrilling thing you can do. If we could set up companies all over Africa, all over the world, that bring a supply chain that has a nice working relationship that has some legal ties to it, not to bind people down, but to keep other people out and, in, and empower people to do what they're called to do. Leviticus 19 verse 10, it says, if you own a field, do not glean the whole field, every single corner. You must leave some of it so that other people can come in and work in your field and they can work in what you have. The widows, the poor, the aliens, the orphans, they can come and work. You don't give them a handout. You create work for them from your field. And that gives them dignity. It gives them responsibility. It teaches them how to be entrepreneurial. It teaches them how to care, how to be um, those who follow through. Uh, if you just get handouts all the time, you just learn to go from one soup kitchen to another with no dignity. It's crushing. It's terrible. If terrorists come your way and offer you a better a solution, you're going to go with it. We've got to understand some of the forces controlling our society and see how, how can we change this thing. Let's have the next slide. Thanks. Um, this is the, um, that really inspired me was the Clapham sect. There's a guy in Singapore, Parakana, who says the same thing. If you're going to run the world, you've got to have .com.gov.org. You've got to get these people sitting at the same table. People from commerce, business people, people from government, people from organizations, churches, schools, NGOs, social activists, uh, activists people like that. That's what the Clapham sect did. We were behind William Wilberforce. Uh, it was a small informal group. They met every two weeks in the uh, Henry Thornton's library, the banker. They had Henry, uh, they had uh, William Thornton, sorry, and Henry Venn. They had the bank, uh, Thornton and Venn, a pastor, a banker, and Wilberforce, a politician. Someone from .com.gov.org. They ran it, the three of them, uh, none of them dominating the other, each of them having a responsibility in their own sphere, but coming together to inspire each other with ideas, with strategies, with thoughts. And then they had a group of another 30 or so people around them who were actually actively involved in actually gathering data, giving out literature, uh, canvassing, uh, preaching, taking this whole uh, way of thinking into society, causing boycotts, boycotting people who sold sugar that came from the um, uh, uh, slave plantations, the whole complete strategy, building icons. Um, uh, um, Josiah Wedgwood had that wonderful little uh, piece of pottery where he said, am I a slave or a brother? He built a, he made a little badge that they could wear. Most ladies wore those as brooches. And he was the Queen's potter, but actually he made the first logo for, for, an econo for, a, for anything, actually. The first logo that we know of. This is the first basic time that a movement was organized so well together to actually bring results. And that's how we got the abolition of slavery. Great inspiration to me, the Quakers and the Clapham sect. And so, uh, friends, we need to do the same, I believe. Get these people at the table. Get men and women at the table. Get black and white at the table. Got to have a complete representation of who we are 
serving and who is making the decisions and have a, a, a Christians involved with businesses to create social solutions. So it's so wonderful. It's so incredibly dramatic and it's so easy as well. It's so thrilling. If you have a mind to think, if you have a prayer to pray, if you have a community to work with, then these are the ways we've got to actually do what we've got to do. And so just have a look at the last slide. Peter Drucker, who came uh, out of Nazi Germany, became the management guru. And uh, he said, we've got to ask, not, not to ask this question, how can I achieve or what can I achieve, but what can I contribute? And I think that's exactly what we've got to do. Not what can I achieve, how much money can I gain, how big can I grow my empire, but what can I contribute into this world in which I live? Peter Drucker was a Christian and saw the lack of management, of leadership skills. And he said, that's why Nazi Germany went the way it went. Not enough leaders, not enough people in society leading, and the, the whole nation was led astray. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I love this, this verse. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, who had actually been beaten and imprisoned, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I know I've preached this often myself, and I've said they were unschooled, ordinary men, they'd been with Jesus. Jesus taught them, that's how they were learned, and Jesus, they, they, something of Jesus rubbed off on them, and they got some of the life of the Spirit. That's absolutely true. All those things are true, but what was the difference? What did the people see? It says, when they saw their courage, they realized where it came from. We have to be with Jesus. We have to learn from Jesus, but friends, we've got to have courage. Learning with Jesus and being with Jesus and having no courage, no one's going to recognize anything. You've got to have courage to step out to do what God's calling us to do. Peter had to have courage to step out the boat and walk on the water. COVID-19 has given us the most incredible opportunity in history. You've got a Renaissance Reformation. We've got a hippie movement, Jesus people movement happening right as we talk right now. Business and government are creating their solutions to these problems. They are doing it now. They are well geared up for solutions. And unfortunately, a lot of that money is going to go back into industry that actually is not ESG. It's not sustainable. It's polluting. It's putting people back into bondage. We have to become a voice that can begin to speak about God's kingdom and what does God want. And you don't even always have to even mention God in your, in your speech because actually it's obvious, it's common sense. But you do have to mention Jesus. People have to know you've been with Jesus or else they're going to just think we're building another Tower of Babel. And it's time for God's people to step up and say, I've got the courage to say Jesus is, is the solution. Jesus has the answers and I know what those answers are. And so I believe as communities, we've got to work together to say, let's not try and get people into heaven. Let's try and get heaven down to earth. This is the hour of opportunity. COVID-19 has given us. God said, stop to this world. God said, stop. Take a Sabbath and think about what you're doing. Gather yourselves and come out of the starting blocks charging to change the world. And so thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, and help us to do this. Thank you for listening. Well, Ian, if we were together in a building, I'd ask everybody just to give you a, a massive round of applause, preferably uh, standing applause, because uh, you've covered so much ground there. I know you could speak for hours and hours about this stuff, and it's like you've you've put forth so many huge concepts, massively.